today, um, I'm continuing a series that we started uh, three weeks ago, and we're, we're titling this series, Ready, Set, Go. And so for a backdrop, we, we sort of talked about what it looks like for us to move into a new building, to move more deeply into the neighborhood, and John 1, 14 in the message is uh, really important to us, and I'm going to read uh, quite a lengthy passage from John chapter 1 from the message this morning in just a second. But before we do that, to, to just sort of refresh you, whether you've been here or not, um, the first thing that we talked about, the opportunity we have to go is to open our arms wide and welcome others. Actually welcome the other, someone that's not yet known, someone with whom we're not familiar, someone who's different than us, someone who thinks like us or doesn't think like us, someone who looks like us or doesn't look like us. But we're opening our arms really, really wide, and the whole thing we want to say about opening our arms wide for welcome is simply this. No one's excluded. Everyone is invited. We have this incredible opportunity to welcome others to experience the good news of Jesus. The second thing we talked about is creating space. And we understand that each and every one of us is gifted in a particular way. We're all shaped. We're all unique. And so our spiritual gifts, our heart, or our passion, our abilities, our personality, and our experiences are similar and dissimilar all at the same time. And what we believe is that there's a place for each and every one of us fully participate in the good work that God's doing through the vineyard by exercising your spiritual gifts. Everyone has some. And Jesus is the giver of all those good things by the power of the Spirit. And we are poorer without you exercising your gift. We invite you, we welcome you to join Last week we talked about uh, making disciples and I propose to you that if we're going to be people who make disciples, we should do it the way that Jesus did it and that's simply that we're relationally connected, fully engaged, giving ourselves to the one who has authorized and affirmed our going, who empowers our going. And so as we make disciples, we're, we're being changed from the inside out. And so I want to continue today and I want to talk to you about something that's really important to us. Kurt mentioned that we're celebrating 18 years of ministry here in Pearland as the Vineyard Church, and I am grateful for every one of those years. And today I want to introduce you what we're going to talk about over the next three weeks together. And uh, it's, it's around here what we call the big six, uh, sort of insider language, but six priorities that are really important to us. And for some of you who've attended our Discover membership class, you've, you've heard us pontificate on the big six. Originally, it was the big five. A couple of years ago, we added a, a, an additional thought, and so now it's the big six. And these are the things that govern our uh, thoughts and ideas with regard to what God is at work doing through us at the Vineyard Church. So I'm going to be introducing those to you today really quickly. And then I'm going to come back, and today I'm going to talk about two of them in a little more in-depth uh, perspective, and I'm going to add two each week. So today, next week, and the next week, we'll be just multiplying these ideas about the big six. To do so, I want to deeply immerse you into uh, the Scripture that's so powerful to us at the Vineyard. It's so, so meaningful to us uh, in terms of our leadership team. And uh, you've heard us really quote John 1, 14, but I want to read it to you in its context 
just want to read it to you in its context from the message, Eugene Peterson, beginning with verse 1. So, if you can, engage your imagination. Let the Spirit of God speak to you as I read the text. If it's helpful to you, uh, close your eyes and just let the words penetrate your thoughts, your heart, your mind. Let them resonate within you. Let imagery come up as to uh, what it might be like to experience, to see, to envision uh, these words come to life. So, <clears throat> John 1, beginning with verse 1, the Word was first. The Word was present to God. God present to the Word. The Word was God in readiness for God from day one. Everything was created through him. Nothing, not one thing came into being without him. What came into existence was life, and the life was light to live by. The life light blazed out of the darkness. The darkness could not put it out. There once was a man, his name, John, sent by God to point out the way to the lifelight. He came to show everyone where to look, who to believe in. John was not himself the light. He was there to show the way to the light. The lifelight was the real thing. Every person entering life, he brings into light. He was in the world, the world was there through him, and yet the world didn't even notice. He came to his own people, but they didn't want him. But whoever did want him, who believed he was who he claimed and would do what he said, he made to be their true selves, their child of God selves. These are the God-begotten not blood begotten, not flesh begotten, not sex begotten. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like Father, like Son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Today, Lord, fill us with this life light. And may we be those who recognize that we are not the light, but that we live our lives in such a way that we point others to the life light of all creation and every man and woman. Do this through us. Do this in us, I pray, in Jesus' powerful name. So I told you this passage of Scripture is deeply meaningful to us at the vineyard, deeply meaningful to us in a number of ways because we think it informs who we are 
those who've received the life light, and it informs what we do. Today I want to talk to you about who we are and what we do in these big six statements. And so let me just suggest to you that the big idea today and the next couple of weeks is simply this. And it's simply this, as we fulfill our calling, recipients of the light and those who shine the light, as we fulfill our calling, deeper roots are established in us and through us into our community. So, so as we fulfill our calling, each and every one of us individually and all of us collectively as the Vineyard Church Pearland, and those of us who are part of the Vineyard Church Pearland are, are, are part of a significantly larger group. Remember, we're part of the Holy Catholic Church, which includes each and every person around the globe, past, present, and future, who give themselves to following the life light of Jesus, being transformed. So we understand we're part of something that's so much bigger. The capacity of the vineyard is insufficient to contain this holy Catholic church. I love the vineyard. I do. About 600 churches in the U.S., about 1,400 churches beyond that. No matter how you count the vineyard, we're too small. We do not fully reflect the beauteous glory, the beautiful glory uh, of the life light that's described in John chapter 1. But I do understand this, that as we become who we're designed to be, as we fulfill our calling, deeper roots go into our lives and into the ground. And deeper roots go through the life of this church into our community to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And so let me talk to you really quickly. If you've got your listening sheet in front of you, uh, I'm just going to go through these really, 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 really quickly, and I'm going to come back and I'm going to hit two of them a little more extensively. So here, here's the deal. Deeper roots, deeper roots as we see them, are, are expressed in our vision statement. So we think deeper roots look something like this. It, it's not all inclusive, but, but it sure points us in the right direction. What I say to the staff all the time is, every question that we ask can be answered if we fully con uh, contemplate our vision statement. So it's, it, our vision statement goes like this. At the vineyard, we're a people experiencing the transforming love of Jesus. Man, just flesh that out. Worship this morning was a really wonderful encounter of experiencing the transforming love of Jesus. Can I? Will, will you indulge me? I wasn't going to do this, but this is like an audible, and I, I'm going to call one. The, the worship, our singing this morning, was incredibly informative. It was leading us right down the pathway to go where I want to go this morning, and it was really captured in my heart at least, and if no one else, it, it worked for me in the song that we sang, Reckless Love. Just indulge me. Before I spoke a word you were singing over me, you have been so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so kind to me. And the church said, amen. 
Hallelujah. Thanks be to God. And then you get to the chorus, and it just declares the beauty of God's great love for us. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, reckless love of God. When I was your foe, still your love fought for me. You have been so good to me. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. You have been so kind to me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, ending, reckless love of God. There's no shadow you won't light up. Mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down. Lie you won't tear down coming after me me. Wow. The never-ending, reckless love of God. This is the transforming power of the love of Jesus that is after us, pursuing us endlessly, tirelessly, forever. At the vineyard, we are a people experiencing the never-ending, reckless love of God that chases us down for His glory and our good and through us to the good of others. That's what it looks like, the reckless love of God changing us from the inside out. And as the reckless God love of God changes us from the inside out, out. It demands our response. It demands our lives. It demands that we give ourselves in response to this love. And we say, experiencing the transforming love of Jesus creates space for those who've not yet heard, who don't, don't yet know. And it creates space for followers of Jesus to grow in experiencing the never-ending, reckless love of God. This is what God has called us to. This is, in fact, a way, not fully sufficient, but a way for us to think about what deeper roots look like. I said it last week. For most of us, we don't need to know more we need to be more simply obedient to what we already know. So as we talk about the, the big idea, deeper roots is expressed in some way through our vision statement. Let's just, let's just run through these really, really quickly, and I'm going to come back to them. And uh, so, so here's, what, here's what we think. The big six are these. We believe that we're, we're a church 
uh, we're called to be a church that is a healing place. We, we believe that we're called to be a church that's a healing place. We believe that we're called to be a church that is a church planting church. We believe that we're called to be a church that blesses and does not curse. We believe we're called to be a church that shares our resources with others. We believe we're called to be a church that never checks the box done. And we believe we're called to be a church that helps people find their place. Really quickly, I, you, you may have seen them. They flipped through them really quickly. I'll read them again. We're called to be a church that's a healing place. We're called to be a church that's a church planting church. We're called to be a church that blesses and does not curse. We're called to be a church that shares our resources with others. We're called to be a church that never checks the box done. We're called to be a church that helps people find their place. And we believe that that is one way or at least six ways to express those who are experiencing the transforming love of Jesus, creating space for new believers and followers of Jesus to grow. And so let's just go back to the first two. We believe that we're called to be a church that is a healing place. We talk about being a healing place. We talk about creating space for people to experience the transforming love of Jesus. And as I was thinking about it this week, thinking about this talk, my mind went to Matthew chapter 11 verses 25 through 30. Only the last portion of that verse is going to come up on the screen behind me. But again, I want to read it in its larger context and just make a few comments about what it means to be a healing place. Verse 28 says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Man, that's good news. That's good news. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Going back to verse 25, Jesus says while he's speaking I praise you father lord of heaven and earth because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children yes father for this is what you were pleased to do all things have been committed to me by the father no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him then come to me all of you who are weary and burdened down, and I will give you rest. It's interesting to me that the introduction to these verses, it says, the things of the kingdom have been hidden from the wise and the learned and have been given to little children. It reminds you of maybe another teaching. Jesus says, unless you become like little children, 
you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Interestingly enough, perhaps this place of healing that we're talking about is that Jesus comes not to the well-educated nor to the learned. As a matter of fact, he points out regularly that sometimes a good education and those who believe themselves to be uh, sufficiently um, informed have a harder time coming to, into the kingdom than those who are less informed. Interestingly enough, as you continue to read, one of the juxtapositions of this passage is simply this. The more we think we know and the more we, impress, we are impressed with ourselves, the greater burden we bear in the issue of performance. Like, like that's, that's the deal. Is the, the more we know, the more we think we know, the more we think we're weighted down with the measure of performance. And so, so it's possible that being well-educated and learned causes us self-dependence and self-reliance to rise up within us that pushes out the reckless love of God. It doesn't mean we should be ignorant on purpose. No, we should be well-learned. We should be well-educated. We should be learning and growing. But, but here's the deal. I want to ask you the question. What great burden have you placed on yourself that stands between you and the reckless love of God? It's a burden of performance. It's a burden of religiosity that Jesus says in his reckless love, it's not a necessity that you figure it out, but that you just receive his reckless love. You see, sometimes our education gets us in trouble because we think we already know before we've ever investigated. It's called assumption. We think we know before we've investigated. We think we know before we've invited. We think we know, and therefore, in our knowing, we become closed to the ever-present life light who seeks to shine brightly in the shadow of our knowing to reveal himself to transform us. When Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, our own education sometimes gets us in trouble because it stands between us and the reckless love of God. But also another weight that is alluded to in this passage is simply the weight of the religious many. The weight of the religious many. The weight of the religious many looks like this. The oughts and shoulds of life that others put on you. The oughts and shoulds of life that others put on you. I'll raise my hand and say, man, I have had lots of oughts and shoulds by well-meaning people put on me that were of no value to me because this was not the reckless love of God penetrating me to transform me from the inside out. It was a heavy weight of performance. Again, self-performance or fulfilling and pleasing others in performance. And I've just found self-performance and others' performance weights me down, and it's a heavy, heavy, 
heavy, heavy burden. And I hear Jesus saying to us, get beyond the weight of self, get beyond the weight of expectation by others, and lean powerfully into this reckless love that is ever-present and always close by, who whispers, who nudges, who prods, who invites, who cajoles, who informs and speaks to us with regard to the inner transformation. And then you can take great confidence because it's not just the expectation of, of ourselves or the expectation of others that we're free from, but it's the inviting love of Jesus. Look at, look at, the, last, look at the last verse here. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me. Now listen to the attitude of the one who's teaching. You may have never thought about this. Listen to the heart. Listen to the reckless love of the one who would take us under his wings and lead us into the future. Here, here's the heart. Here's the heart. For I am gentle. Wow, that'll mess you up. Like, I don't know, but I know lots of people who think that Jesus and the Father are anything but gentle. I would say it differently. A lot of people think that Jesus might be a little bit gentle, but the Father's really angry, and if you don't know how angry he is, just ask. It gets in our way. You see, he says, take, but then if you, if you, if you read the, the middle verses, he says, no one knows me except the Father, and the Father and I are connected in, in a powerful, intimate way. So if Jesus says, I am gentle, the Father is gentle. Just let that knock down that stinking wall of an angry God. It is not true. God is not angry. God is recklessly in love with us. shouldn't yell. <coughs> Good message, don't yell. Uh, I'm gentle. I'm humble in heart. When I read that, I just think, wow, God. Wow, gentle and humble of heart. And my mind goes to my favorite passage, of scripture, I learned maybe one of the first verses I learned. John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And if you stop there, you stop far too short. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved, might be, might be redeemed, might experience the reckless love of Father, Son, and Spirit. This is what at least a portion of being a healing place looks like because as we are these kinds of people it will allow us to throw arms wide open 
No one excluded to experience what we're experienced in the overwhelming, reckless love of God. Next thing, and I'm almost done, I promise. The next thing is we want to be a church that is a church planting church. I can't say it more powerfully than to say, I believe in the local church. I, I believe in the local church. One of my mentors says, the local church empowered by the Spirit, led by Jesus, is the hope of the world. I believe that. I believe that. And I want us to be a church that is so overwhelmed in being a healing place that we think that planting other churches that are healing places as well is a really, really good thing. See, for 18 years we've been talking about being a healing place, and I can just tell you story after story after story after story after story of people who've experienced the healing presence of Jesus. And I can also tell you that for 18 years we've talked about being a church planting church. And so we're talking about where we've been, but we're also talking about where we're going. What we've done is not finished yet. We still have more to do. So let me talk to you about being a church planting church. Here, here's the deal. We don't talk about this a lot, but I was just thinking through it this week. And so in, in terms of church planting, uh, we have planted one church on our own, and uh, that planting was the Galveston Vineyard, and we're excited that the church is still going, uh, that the church is still being uh, an influencing factor on the island. And, and so, so, you know, just, just one church that we've planted but if we stopped there, we'd be stopping far too short of what God has been doing through us in church planting. So one church on our own, we have a daughter church that we sent out uh, in, on the island of Galveston, and they're doing really, really well, and they're still making an impact. But beyond that, we have planted churches in partnerships with other vineyard churches. And this is where it gets interesting, because what we couldn't do by ourselves, or what we did by ourselves, was less than what we could do together. What we did by ourselves was less than what we could do together. So in church partnerships, we planted a church in Bryan College Station. And I, I wish to say that that church had survived. It didn't. But the good news is we're having a replant. The good news is a replant's on the way. So, so we're, excited about, we're excited about that. We planted a church in Reynosa, Mexico. We've planted four churches in the country of Turkey. And we've planted a church in Azerbaijan. One, two, three, seven, eight. One on our own, seven in partnership. Question I ask is if we believe in being a church planting church, are there more church plants in our future? And I say definitively yes. Let me talk to you just briefly about what we're thinking. Just briefly, don't hold me to this. All right, we're dreaming. We're dreaming. So just understand, this is dreaming. 
Hold me to the fact that we want to be a church planting church. Hold me to that. Hold us to that. Let's, let's dig in and say, where's God at work? But, but we're, we're right now in, in a process of being educated. Uh, we have relationships, uh, some really, 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 really smart people, way smarter than me. But, of course, most of you qualify to be way smarter than me. Uh, but, but we're talking about what it could look like to have a deeper impact in creating spaces for people to experience the healing place of God's love through the multiplication of outposts of the kingdom planted through the Vineyard Church. And so let me just say, as you pray, put a pin in the ground or put a pin on your map or put it in your memories that uh, we're dreaming about planting a church in Shadow Creek Ranch. Say, Alan, why would we do that? I mean, it's so close and yet so far away. So close and yet so far away. You know, there's this thing of natural barriers. Sometimes it's a river, sometimes it's a mountain, sometimes it's a deep valley. There's this natural barriers that occur in geography and it keeps people separated from one another. Perhaps you've lived in spaces and places where you know what that looks like, just natural geographical boundaries. The city we live in, it's not mountains and it's not rivers that generally uh, keep us from one another. It's a highway. <laughs> Man-made things. So you, so you understand You understand if you're familiar with Pearland, and almost every one of you is familiar with Pearland, that there's this great natural divide and it's called Highway 288 and it's getting ready to be a greater divide because there's this new tollway that's being constructed ultimately. And what happens is the people who live on the west side of, of that have everything that they need and so do the people who live on the east side and so for us to reach the people on the west side with the overwhelming reckless love of God which we don't think there's uh, too many churches already there there's great works that are going there we're not competing with anybody but there's great works that are going on there we believe that God is asking us to think about what it, what would it look like what would it look like for us to plant a church there and I'll just continue we think about this neighborhood concept of churches reaching neighborhoods, churches reaching people in powerful ways. And so add to your list praying for Alvin. Add to your list praying for Friendswood. Add to your list praying for South Houston. And I won't take the time to describe all the barriers, but each of them has a barrier. Each of them has a barrier. And if God, listen, the building we're building is designed with, with purpose. The building we're building is designed to allow us to grow in multiple services to become a church of about 750 people. That's our dream. Believing that a church of 750 people can plant a church every 18 months to two years. And in partnership, maybe we can plant more than one church every 18 months to two years. We don't plan on, we don't plan on relocating and building a larger complex. We don't plan on buying more land and building a bigger building. We've designed, we've designed a facility that in multiple services can host 750 people without problem that will be good for the community, good for us and through us the, to the glory of the Father. My time is up. And I'm going to leave you hanging with that right there because you've got lots to pray about. But before we leave today, we're going to come back to the thing that God's doing among us. And I'm just going to identify it. The thing that God is doing among us today is extending an invitation to his 
to experience his overwhelming, reckless love. That's what God's doing. That's what God's doing. 